Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 133 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hello. And my husband Dylan is our sound recordist. Hello. Well, last week we had two very special guests, and you should listen to that episode if you haven't yet. But because we had guests, I didn't get to report my deep, dark shame. Deep, dark shame. Here's the thing, guys. You, you guys know me. You know who I am. You know my problem. And then it's like the worst time of the year for it is my birthday because it feels like hashtag treat yourself. I, I got a lot of books as birthday gifts. Nice. And there are some people such as Toby who gave me yeah. gift cards to bookstores so that I had to get shame. And then mm-hmm. I just got some for myself, too, because, you know, treat yourself. So the to read list is now at 300 books. <laughs> <laughs> I have added 10 more books to my shelf. Oh, my God. Oh, God. <laughs> so let me just tell you what they are and then we can just move on and just like act like it's totally normal and not weird are oh, you worried weird. that we we're going to run out of episodes or something let's rapid fire it i want to hear okay all right i got the rosie result which is the final book in the rosie tillman trilogy also very upsetting you guys i accidentally purchased the paperback when i have the other two editions in hardcover <sighs> yeah i mean donate it immediately and and buy a hardcover come on mm. Huge issue. All right. Then I got um, Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell, uh, Florida by Lauren Goff, Red, White, and Royal Blue, which is the hit of Bookstagram right now. It's like a romance between the son of the President of the United States and the Prince of England. Awesome. That sounds cool. Yeah. Um, Evie Drake Starts Over, which takes place in Maine. Vox, which is a book that was on my like virtual to read list that I got actual copy. Same with The Casual Vacancy by J.K. Rowling. I would have thought you had already read that one. Um, nope, I hadn't read that one. And then Andrew got me Woman in White by Wilkie Collins, which was on my list. And the last one, well, I have two other ones, but... <laughs> Good Lord. I'll save, I'll save the last one for the end of the episode as a surprise. Tune in for the end of the episode. But all that said, one of the books I got... I have already read. Is it the casual vacancy? No. Okay. I feel like we should call this like Bailey's extra credit or something. Because like, it's like I went above and beyond and read an extra book. No. This is going to encourage you to buy more books, A. B, it shouldn't just be Bailey's extra credit. C, (laughs) what a ridiculous idea. But okay. (laughs) You can't hide your shame in extra segments. Yeah. That's a good point. I was trying to hide my shame. Which of those did you buy with the gift certificate that we got you? The Rosie Result and Fangirl. Two of them, really? Yeah. Oh. Um, we didn't give you that generous of a gift certificate. Paper, yeah. Paperbacks, baby. I've, they were paperbacks, and I might have, you know, added a little bit more of my nice. money to yeah. it. Paperbacks are expensive these days. Has anyone ever noticed? <laughs> <laughs> so the book that I got that I've already read, and I read it basically in a matter of hours, over a weekend, there was a point where I held it to my chest and hugged it and turned to Dylan and said, I love this book. It's called The Bookish Life of Nina Hill by Abby Waxman. It's about... Oh my God, Billy just removed her glasses. It's about a girl with glasses. Her name is Nina Hill. She works in a bookshop. She loves to read. She's on a trivia team. And she kills serial killers that she finds. No? No, she has a cat named Phil. (laughs) And the cat um, kills serial killers that he <laughs> So she's kind of like Elizabeth Bennet type character. She's really smart, maybe like a little bit socially awkward. Mm-hmm. Well, she's, she has anxiety, but 
it's awesome. And, you know, there's a love story. There's like a story about a family she didn't know. And the best part, well, for me, is that it all takes place in Larchmont, Larchmont Boulevard oh. in Los Angeles, which is very close to our neighborhood. And I saw this book on Instagram, Bookstagram, and I thought, oh, I have to go get it. So I went to the local bookshop to get it, Chevalier's in Larchmont, and I picked it up and the bookshop lady was like, oh, do you know Abby? The, the author's name's Abby Waxman. And I was like, no. And she's like, oh, yeah, no, she lives She lives around here. This is The cool. book is based on our bookstore. Did she used to work there? No, but she goes there all the time. Huh. Um, I like, I mean... Plug to Chevalier's. Chevalier's is a great, uh, it's great. great bookstore. So the bookstore in here is called Knights. You know, Chevalier's is French for night. I did not know that. Well, duh. I mean, right. You're clearly I'm not on a trivia team. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the character, Liz, who's the bookshop owner, is the actual owner of Chevalier's books. Wow. So instead of getting the book just, you know, for fun, I went to the, the book launch at Chevalier's and I just thought, mm, uh, I'm going to invite Talia, Talia Bolnick, who was on our podcast before, who runs the Hatchery Press, just for fun, because it seems up her alley. And when we got there, she's like, oh, do you know Abby? And I was like, no. She's like, she, Everyone asks you if you she know Abby. writes at the Hatchery. She wrote this book at the Hatchery. Whoa. Yeah. So then Talia introduced me to Abby, and she was so lovely and funny, and it was just like, what's happening, everything? And I got a, a little bit awkward, because I'm a little bit like Nina, but... <laughs> So she even signed my book. Oh, my God. This is the ultimate synthesis for this podcast. It says, says Dear Bailey, I hope you love it. For Bailey, it's Lots secretly about a nope. serial killer. Nope. No, it's hard to read her handwriting. Anyway, this was a five-star book for me. It's like candy. You should read it. Also, I'm just going to read you one quote so you can get a sense because they talk about the two read lists in this book. The idea of the two read lists. Yes. Not, uh, not a podcast. Yeah, yeah, not a hastily edited addendum that talks about our podcast. dare you. Okay. This is a character named Millie. She's like five or six, I think. She's young. Anyway, she has a stack of books, right? She says, the ones I haven't read yet are by my bed. She looked rueful. Mom made a rule that I can only have six to-be-read books at a time. Otherwise, she says it gets out of hand. So... She's so, got so restraint, have, restraint that I yeah, do not have. Yeah, you have deep disagreements with this character <laughs> on how they manage their to-read list. Well, what I liked about it is it was a little girl who clearly, like, when she grows up, she's going to be like me and Nina. She's just going to go nuts. She didn't realize that adulthood means that you can allow your habits to balloon out of control. Yeah. So, you know, extra credit. Let's insert the sound of, like, a gold star. Like, Bailey's the best right here. Here we go. Gold star. <laughs> Sorry, what was that noise, Andrew? <laughs> Sorry, Andrew, there seems to be a barge passing your apartment. I really would like to hear that gold star noise. Well, speaking of sound effects, we didn't include this last time because we didn't properly introduce it, but our own Jillian Beth Durkee created a theme song for our next section called Dylan's Cupboard Under the Stairs, Dylan Reads Harry Potter Book 7. So here's our introduction song. Dylan, so how much have you read of Harry Potter? I'm like 100 pages in. So last time I, we were introduced to Voldemort and crew, mm-hmm. uh, we had a little interstitial with the obituary of Dumbledore written by uh, Elpheus Doge. Dodge. Elpheus Dodge. Okay. Darn it. Uh, talked a little smack about Albus Dumbledore in his obituary, which was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the chapter. 
Are you just summarizing it or do you have thoughts about it? I think it's a thing that like, if you were coming off of the sixth book into the seventh book, you need, would need time to process Dumbledore's death. Uh-huh. But considering we're talking about 15 years mm-hmm. in, in between this and that, or it was like, it was more of a reminder of like, here's all the things Dumbledore did. It's like, oh, thanks. <laughs> it does make me wish that I kind of got these two books like, you know, back to back. And oh. also, oh. Does, does it uh, make you no. wish just, that you read them in a normal quantify, fashion? Because I was talking to Bailey about the rules about this. I'm not allowed to like watch movies or like use Wikipedia to get some background here because they throw a lot of names to these next few chapters. I meet the whole Order of the Phoenix, and it is a deep roster. We expect you to be able to remember these things, Dylan. Give me an example of somebody you don't know. Yeah. Uh, and, and we'll see if we remember them because it's been a while for because for some reason we went to Universal Studios and they have a wand selection there that you can choose wands from any wizard in the wizarding world and Bailey who did you choose? Kingsley Shacklebolt Kingsley Shacklebolt so I recognize that name <laughs> that came in It was. it's a really cool wand it, it looks kind of like a heart if you guys follow us like on Instagram heart? I posted a picture of the wand on Harry Potter's birthday also just so you guys know I'm the run running the Instagram Toby's the run running the Twitter just you know <laughs> I'm the uh, one running the guerrilla marketing campaign on the streets of New York City. Have you been screamed at by a person about the two read list? <laughs> That's Andrew's handiwork. He hands out five dollar bills. You can say thank you to uh, me. So yeah, so we're at the D- Dursley house. Uh, like every summer vacation, Harry's about to be killed, and the Dursleys are angry at him for it. But I sense this is different in the fact that he finally kicks the Dursleys out and says, "Like, look, you're going to die if you stay here." So. Dudley? Dudley yeah. Dursley? Is that oh, really wow. his name? Yep, Dudley. Wow. Is that really his name? <laughs> There's a lot of that in this. <laughs> yeah, let the record show that all of these characters have appeared in other books so far. Yeah. <laughs> you heard of this guy named Ron? <laughs> <laughs> so he kicks him out, and then the Order of the Phoenix show up with Hagrid, Tonks, Lupin, um, short guy, uh, Mad-Eye Moody, Short guy. guy. What's the name of Mundungus the- Fletcher. Mundungus Fletcher. Oh, good one. I don't know if I would have been able to pull that one. Um, they all come there. They drink the Polyjuice Potion, which I know what that is. And they all turn to Harry's. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they all decide to split up. But that plan works for five seconds. Because mm-hmm. the second they go out, all of a sudden the Death Eaters come and start chasing them. And the Death Eaters have names too. So now it's like, now I don't know if it's like, is this an A-list Death Eater that's chasing him? Including, I had to write down some of these names. Stanley Shinpike was the guy that, since I guess Harry doesn't kill Stan, they know that that's the real Harry, so then they're chasing him, Boulderbrook's breathing down his neck, uh, lighting on his head is getting all itchy, it's hot. The scar? The scar. Okay. Yeah, Stan's uh, under the Imperius curse, that's why he doesn't kill him, he's the guy yeah, who conducts the night bus. He was the night bus guy, yeah. Yeah, that's that's why Harry doesn't kill him, because he's not actually a Death Eater. I read this book, like, years ago, and I know this stuff. <laughs> well, you're, you're doing a better job than me, Andrew, honestly. Uh, and so I don't know if this is me being not knowing what's going on, but also like, it seems like there's safe zones. So like there's them flying in between these two safe zones. So once they reach the Weasleys, they're fine. But like, it's a really close call with Voldemort and not everybody makes it. Mad-Eye Moody, RIP. Hedwig, RIP. Yeah. Is that, is Hedwig dead? Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> I thought he, he just fell and like, we're going to get him back later. What? We'll pick up that owl later. <laughs> no, Hedwig got hit by a killing curse, dude. Well, now we're in for Floor and Bill's dumb wedding, and now my day is ruined because Hedwig's dead. <laughs> Could have been ruined 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine this would be a very hard book series to read backwards. 
Who would want to read a book yeah, series well, backwards? What, you, what are you talking how about? How often do you read book series backwards? Yeah, no one has don't. ever done that. <laughs> you guys don't like reading about a group of two hobbits that grab a ring out from Volcano and then wander all the way back to the Shire? <laughs> I mean, it ends happily both ways. <laughs> so I'll let you guys know how this how Bill's wedding turns out. Guys, I want to make Dylan read a book series backwards for the next, <laughs> once he's done with this. <laughs> All right. Well, we love that. Okay. This Thank has you, been Dylan. Dylan's. Thanks, Dylan. This has been Dylan's Cupboard Under the Stairs. <laughs> <laughs> this week, Toby had a book to read from his to read list. Toby, what book did you have? I had Willful Creatures by Amy Bender. Um, it is a collection of short stories. Like, I think most uh, short story collections I've read. There's at least one that I really don't like. Yeah, there's one where it's like they needed to have ten stories, and they're yeah. like, "Yeah, take this one from." Well, this one is great. Every oh! single story is so good. This oh. book is incredible. I, I was love very it. worried where you were going with this question because it could either be that or every one of them was mm. awful. No, this is amazing. I loved it so, so, so much. I've, it's one of those experiences too, where it's like you've never read an author before, and you get to. You know, you kind of slowly, at least for me, you're like, oh, this is good. This is really good. This is really, really good. And then mm-hmm. you get to be like, wow, this person has written more. I get to, like, read more of their books throughout my life. This is oh, really that's exciting. Great. Yeah. I think it's claimed of her, um, you know, realistically at, at times that she does kind of magical realism, which is true. There are elements of the fantastic in these stories. They all feel very modern. Um, not that they're like in cyberspace or whatever, but they just feel very contemporary, which I really enjoyed. And the touch, I feel like her touch of magical realism is much more deft. Whereas Marquez and other magical realism, I really enjoy. It's not like I don't enjoy that, but it feels like a world apart. Mm-hmm. But this feels like our world with little tweaks here and there, which is just incredibly well done. She's very, very funny, very strange at times. Um, and her voice is so strong and so well-crafted. I really, really enjoyed it. So every single story in here is great. I love them all. Um, I wanted to pick out a few of them to talk about. It's kind of hard to go into too much detail because almost every one of them has like a little twist or at least an interesting plot point that because they're short stories and they're so short, I wouldn't want to describe too much because then it would ruin it. Um, but I'll, I'll do what I can. Um, so my edition, um, and I think a lot of editions of this book, have like a some representation of like a man in a birdcage, it looks like. And that's a reference to, I think, uh, a story called End of the Line. Um, and it's very magical realism in the fact that it concerns a man who buys a tiny man in a pet store oh. and keeps him in a birdcage. Um, and this is, I think, one of the ones where it, it's, I can't really describe anything else besides the concept but there's a moment in this that really sealed the deal for me for this book. It's like the second or third story where the story is interesting and humorous and a little bit upsetting. And then there's a twist that's so vicious and cruel and upsetting that it really takes things to 11 in this story. And you you think that the whole book is going to be such a grim march towards awfulness and then there's also this moment at the end of that story that kind of restores everything you think you like about humanity it's really it's incredible if you only wanted to read one story out of this collection i would read end of the line Uh, another favorite of my mine from the book is one called fruit and words um it's about a woman who almost gets married in las vegas and then leaves las vegas alone uh she's driving through the desert uh back towards the city she lives in and she encounters a fruit stand on the side of the road and this woman who runs the stand is not only selling fruit she is selling words 
So for example, um, this is one of the more basic examples. She's selling the word pearl made out of pearls. It's like a word that's like a couple feet long and like a foot high and it says the word pearl and it's made out of pearl. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of one of the more basic examples. But then she starts selling words like strawberry. She's made out of strawberries. And then the, the words get more and more abstract and the story gets more and more interesting and bizarre from there. That reminds me when I was growing up, we had to we had to like make vocabulary representations of new vocabulary words we learned. Mm -hmm. And every time I had to make more and more elaborate ones in order to get A pluses and extra credit. And I had to do annihilation and I lit a paper on fire. (laughs) In class? (laughs) No, like I, I, it took a few times, but I had to like burn the paper like just enough. On the edges. Okay. No, 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 no. Like a hole in in it it would be like just a piece of paper where it says the word name and the definition and then a, a picture representation and i burned a hole in it i also like knitted a <laughs> leviathan it, it's fine guys i was totally cool continue bailey is like looking fondly at this locked chest in the corner <laughs> <laughs> it says a plus chest on it um so there's a story called off um which is one of my favorite narrators in the whole uh in the whole collection this woman all it is it's probably the one with the least magical realism in it this woman goes to a party hosted by an old friend of hers and she makes it her goal to kiss three men one with black hair one with red hair and one with blonde hair it's a very simple premise um but it just gets so complicated and so interesting based on who the protagonist is um and i have a quote here from uh this exact story how many red-haired people were at that party only one. Oh, all right um so here's the quote i used to paint and i would make landscapes that were peaceful and my teacher would stroll through the easels and praise me and say what a lovely cornfield dear but she never looked hard enough because if you did you would see that each landscape had something bad in it and that lovely was the wrong word to use. I made that cornfield, true, but if you looked closely, there was a glinting knife hanging from each husk. And I made a beach scene with crashing waves and a crescent moon, and then this loaded machine gun laying on the sand by a towel. And then I made a mountain town with quaint stores and tall pine trees and people walking around, except for that one man wrapped in dynamite walking over to the guy with a cigarette lighter standing by the drinking fountain. Ooh. Intriguing. It also makes me think that that teacher did not pay attention. Yeah. It's like, how do you, <laughs> how do you not see that? So, yeah, I, I, I love this collection so, so much. I blasted through it. Um, I borrowed it from the library, but I would 100%. I'm considering buying, like, a nice copy to have in my home. Oh. Um, and I give it five stars, which is probably not a surprise. Ooh. Ooh. Five, five gold stars. <laughs> five gold stars. Amy Bender, be that, my friend. That's awesome. That sounds so good. Um, Andrew, do you have any Amy Bender facts? I was able to find a few things. Um, she was born on June 28, 1969, and she studied at UC San Diego before going to graduate school at UC Irvine. She's been based in uh, California her whole career. In fact, she teaches uh, creative writing at USC now. So you could go meet her, Toby. Toby has this giant grin on his face. <laughs> like he was, I, I'm literally thinking, I'm like, there's probably some kind of event that I could go. I would, I, this, I w- wouldn't do this for many authors, but I would consider like going to like a speech or something. I'll do it. We'll make a, we'll make a, an episode about it. Cool. I'm stalking Amy Bender. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Um, 
Her first book was a collection of short stories called The Girl in the Flammable Skirt, um, and she's since released five more, including Willful Creatures and The Particular Sadness of Lemon Cake, which is on Bailey's shelf. Uh, she cites in her main influences uh, Oscar Wilde, Hans Christian Andersen, The Brothers Grimm, and Anne Sexton, which makes a lot of sense based on what you're saying, Toby, about uh, mm-hmm. the experience of reading this book. She kills serial killers. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say one of her influences was Han Solo. <laughs> uh, for a while, she wrote exclusively in a closet. Um, this is from an interview. For, uh, this is the interviewer asking her a question. For some time, you wrote fiction in a closet. Was it a real closet or an alcove that might pass for a bedroom in Manhattan? What was it about this enclosed space that allowed or even encouraged your creativity to emerge? And have you graduated to a cleaner, better lit space? Amy Bender. It was a real closet. It fit a card table, (laughs) a chair, and that was about it. I had to angle my body to sit. I wrote an essay on writing in there that I haven't published, but would like to at some point. I like the idea of going into the closet as a kind of entry into the world of childhood shadowy, scary places. Instead of repression, going in the closet, it'd be an unearthing. What's hiding inside the closet? It was dusty, and I wrote there for almost a shocking three years. But I moved, due to a breakup, and in my new apartment, I write happily outside the closet. In fact is, I like it better. The closet was kind of a drag in many ways. That said, I did write a couple of my scarier stories in there, so maybe it did work a little bit. Wow, what a technique. <laughs> yeah. That's like one of several, right? Didn't like Colin McCann write Yeah, he, he, he wedges himself into cupboards and writes. Oh, yeah, yeah. This seems to be more of a, a strategy that she has moved past, whereas I think McCann mm-hmm. still looks for cupboards. But yeah. Um, and McCann looks for cover. <laughs> and to close out uh, my facts on Amy Bender, one more question from that same interview. Now that it's beach season, what's on your summer reading yeah. list? <laughs> what's on your summer reading list that isn't on Oprah's? The um, closets of North America. <laughs> I bring this up because it seems like she may have a sort of similar habit to us. I want to finally read Cloud Atlas, which has been sitting on my shelf for a few years. I know I'll love it, but I found the very, very beginning tough, so I put it down once. That happened to me with The God of Small Things, too, which has since become a favorite of mine. Sometimes I'll buy a book and it'll sit on the shelf for a few years until it seems to ripen, as it pertains to me, or I get myself ready for it over time, and I think Cloud Atlas is just about ready for plucking. So it seems not only one of us in that she appears to have a to-read list, I believe Cloud Atlas and The God of Small Things are on your list, Bailey? Not The God of Small Things, but Cloud Atlas is on my list. God of Small Things is on my list. Oh, there you go. I see. I knew we had somebody with it. Yeah. And I started it. I started it. And that's a do not finish finish for me. I'd got like 100 pages through it. And yeah. Well, according to your best friend, Amy, you got to go back. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) Great facts, Andrew. I know there's probably not a lot, but you did great with what there is. All right. So, Willful Creatures by Amy Bender, five stars. Awesome. All right. So, I read White Teeth by Zadie Smith. Yeah. Uh, I know you really love this book, Toby. I am nervous because I love this author, but I read White Teeth when I was, I mean, when did it come out? 2000. Yeah. So, I think I read it like shortly after it came out. So, I read it a long time ago. 2000. You would have still been in middle school. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was definitely reaching as well. So, that's really interesting to me because back when I used to teach, sophomore year English curriculum was British literature. And White Teeth by Zadie Smith was one of the books on the list um, to teach. And I wanted to teach it because I was trying to 
teach more diverse voices, but I hadn't read it and I couldn't get into it. What what I thought was interesting based on what you said, Toby, is when I was reading, it, I was like, how are high schoolers getting into this? Because it seems so adult. And you must have read it when you were like, I don't know, very young. I would love to reread it. Definitely went over my head a lot of it. I could, it's one of those experiences. I don't know if you guys had this when you were a kid where you're reading it. You're like, this is good. I don't know if I'm like engaging with all the ideas yeah. that it's presenting to me, but I, I like it. But I can tell it's good. Yeah. Um, it was also on the Great American Read. It was number number 96 out of 100, but it was still <laughs> Barely on. Barely made the cut. But, it, you know, I, considering it only came out 19 years ago yeah. and it's on the list. Um, I mean, it's no Outlander. <laughs> number two. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We should make Dylan read the Outlander series backwards. <laughs> Um, I really, really wanted to love this book, but this maybe this has to do with what you were saying, Toby. I feel like I wasn't smart enough for this book. Do you ever feel that way? And people sometimes say that about this podcast. They're like, you guys are so smart. And it's like, I feel so dumb all the time. Yeah. So I tried to read this one in 2011 and I stopped on page 69. The bookmark I had in it was from a ticket to the Cayman Islands. I just want to say I don't ooh, go on that la la. I don't go on that many trips. This is just we just happened to talk about them on the podcast. But I went on this literally the day after my first date with Dylan. Oh. In 2011. Remember that Dylan? Yeah. <laughs> so we we've been married for almost 4 years and together for 8 years, but I just liked that I abandoned it right when we started dating probably because you were just so interesting dylan that i had to put it down you're welcome this this book almost derailed your marriage (laughs) that's what i'm hearing and i just i just couldn't get into it because you know grand cayman islands it's not a beach read it's not something very light so i put on instagram there's a picture of me literally asleep on the beach with the book on me because (laughs) it was not that engaging maybe i was in my head about it whenever i picked up this book to read it for this podcast I could not focus on the page. My mind kept wandering. I couldn't focus. I was like, I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm not going to be able to do it. I can't focus. I can't get into it. And it's supposed to be so good. What am I not getting? But then we had a few listeners on our Instagram suggest that I listen to the audiobook. And here's the thing, guys. The audiobook is great. It's told by, I would say, at least five different narrators of different ethnicities and so many different cool accents and it gets you more into the characters and it feels like almost a radio play um, and you can hear the humor where you can't necessarily read the humor but I feel this is kind of silly but it's like I almost feel like I didn't really read the book if I just listened to it do you know what I mean no I don't I love audible and I think it's totally legitimate to listen to books but Andrew, I think you disagree, no? Yeah, I think Andrew throws shade at audiobooks. I don't throw shade. I, I enjoy an audiobook, but I don't consider it the same as reading it. I pretty much only use audiobooks for nonfiction that I would uh, like um, consume like a podcast. It's something different to me. I, I, I don't want to throw shade at anyone in particular, but uh, that's just how I feel. So, I mean, and I maybe also having to do with the conceit of this podcast where it's like I've been trying to read this book so it can go physically off my shelf. It's like, did I actually accomplish that? So I got to the point where I was reading it while listening to it, like sort of following along. Oh, like, really? Like oh. how for like a student that struggles with reading, you might scaffold it. So it, mm-hmm. it's like, listen as you read. Um, and that helped me. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, but you guys, like I, you know, Interesting. I am a 
voracious reader. I love to read. Some It could have just been in my head that I had abandoned it before, but I just couldn't access it all the way. But I love the audiobook. Mm. So with all that said, White Teeth, it's kind of like freedom. You can't really um, encapsulate the plot in one sentence, but it's essentially a portrait of modern Britain as told through the unlikely friendship between two men, Archie Jones and Samad Iqbal. Um, one of them is from Bangladesh, and one of them is just like a good old English boy. English chap. English chap. So, and it goes, but it, you know, it starts from Archie's perspective, and then you go into Samad, and then you go from sort of character to character, kind of like a Laurent, where you're just exploring, blowing out the world based on this little friendship, um, and seeing all the people whose lives came before them and after them. So, with that said, Here's the things I liked about White Teeth. Number one, the character descriptions are great. She clearly loves creating characters, and she has a really great talent for encapsulating characters in just one or two sentences. I'll give you one quote so you can see what I mean. While you're looking that up, Bailey, yes. I will say, so this is the one This is the one of hers. I've read, I think, everything, all the novels she's written by now. Um, and this is the one I read, obviously, first, because it's her first big one. Um, and it's the one I remember the least, and I don't remember it being my favorite. Okay. So I think there are other ones. I really enjoyed On Beauty, which is actually one of the ones that's been reviewed the most poorly, mm-hmm. but I really loved it. Okay. That's good to know. Makes me feel a little better. All right. So this is just a description of one of the characters, Irie, when she's a teenager. Um, page 198. She was that age. Whatever she said burst like genius into centuries of silence. Whatever she touched was the first stroke of its kind. Whatever she believed was not formed by faith, but carved from certainty. Whatever she thought was the first time such a thought had ever been thunk. I liked that because it gives you a very clear portrait of like, this is what it's like to be a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, so the character descriptions are great. She also has a great snarky humor, um, mm-hmm. very erudite humor that makes it fun to read and makes it more interesting. She, uh, at least in her other books, but if I remember, I don't know if she does it in White Teeth, there's a lot of references. Oh, yeah. A ton of references. Talk about books that will make you feel kind of dumb. This, I mean, it's all of her books. There's stuff in there where I'm like, I got to look that up. Like, I don't know what that reference means. Well, speaking of that, this is a word you might not know. You probably know. But um, How dare you. <laughs> um, uh, this is page 263. Um, this is the context is a character is seeing another character for the first time. Pulchritude from the Latin pulcher, beautiful. That was the word that first struck Joyce when Millet Iqbal stepped forward onto the steps of her conservatory, sneering at Marcus's bad jokes, shading his violet eyes from a fading winter sun. Pulchritude, not just the concept, but the whole physical word appeared before her as if someone had typed it onto her retina. Pulchritude, beauty where you least suspect it, hidden in a word that looked like it should signify a belch or a skin infection. Hmm. Beauty in a tall brown young man who should have been indistinguishable to Joyce from those she regularly bought milk and bread from, gave her accounts to for inspections, or passed her checkbook to behind the thick glass of a bank till. So, you know, it's a little bit of erudite humor. You have to understand what the words are, I guess. You have to know sort of the racial things at play, the class mm-hmm. things at play. Um, so those are the parts I really like, the characters and the um, humor. The part I didn't really like... Everything else. No, no. I think, in general, it felt a lot... Like, there's a lot of books that are like this, where it's more about character than plot. Mm -hmm. So once I got to, you know, 100 pages from the end, I was thinking, you know, what is she building up to here? Like, is it feels almost like a... 
more of a writing exercise. It's like I have a sense of who these characters are, but is there a point? And it seemed like all of a sudden she was started building up to this climactic event that I thought was just kind of thrown in there in order to have an ending. Mm. So that that's basically my biggest critique. And along that note, there was a chapter or two near the end where it seemed like she was really forcing it. Um, but, you know, I'm one person and most people absolutely love this book. I feel a little bad that it's not a glowing review. I want to say that I'm going to give the audiobook four stars. The audiobook is really good, but I think it's only fair that I give the book overall three stars. Because just for me, it was like, it's fine, but I'm not going to read it again. Like, yeah. I couldn't even physically really read it on my own self, I'm honest. Really? I feel like you're allowing yourself to be shamed by public opinion. No, it's not that. It's that I don't want someone to be turned off of the book based on what I said. Just not my favorite. Yeah. I am probably not going to keep it on my shelf because I think... Even to look smart and cool? You do still have swing time on your list. I mean, on your shelf. So you will have Zadie Smith there if you just want to have that. You just reminded me, actually, I think Swing Swing Time is actually a three-star for me. That's not certainly not my favorite of hers. Oh, maybe I should take it off the list. I think you should take it off. I'll you can't take it. it off. Those are the rules. Andrew, do you have any Zadie Smith facts? Yeah, I do. So she was born Sadie Smith in northern London in 1975 to a Jamaican mother and an English father. Sadie like the book we read? Sadie like the book we read. She changed her name to Zadie at 14. I did Ooh. not know that. She went to school at uh, King's College, Cambridge, where she studied literature and earned money singing jazz. She contributed stories to a student journal called The Maze Anthology, which got the attention of literary agents and publishers. So while still at Cambridge, she began writing White Teeth. A partial manuscript of the book was distributed, and it kicked off a bidding war for the publishing rights. Um, She completed the book during her final year at Cambridge when she was 21, and it was published in 2000. So if you don't think you're smart enough for this book, Bailey, you're not smart enough for a 21-year-old. <laughs> she sounds like she sounds like a, like a, a version of Jonathan Safran Foer that people don't hate. I always get the two of them mixed up. <laughs> yeah, it's such similar. Uh, she immediately rocketed to fame based on the success of this novel. It received a lot of awards. She also got some sort of unsavory press around it where she was very much being sort of judged by a lot of the reviews I was reading, like as a person and not as an author, which seemed pretty unsavory. I think it was just because she was a young woman Mm -hmm. and they were like, oh, well, this snooty person didn't win this award. And I was like, that's so rude. The Guardian. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, it wasn't the Sorry, The Guardian was commenting on it, so it wasn't The Guardian. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So she immediately became sort of the this star of the literary world, and it's really weird reading back to interviews at this time because she's so clearly uncomfortable talking about the book. She keeps stopping interviews and being like, "I am." so bad at this she keeps and like I, I don't know what I'm saying one of the interviews like literally did a transcript where she started making a point and then she said no Zadie that's not it that's not it uh, I give up because <laughs> she was I mean she's like at this point probably like 24 all of a sudden her world had turned on a dime and she like was clearly figuring out how to present herself publicly which she never probably thought she'd have to to date, she's published five novels uh, with a short story collection called Grand Union and a new novel called The Fraud, upcoming uh, either within this year or within a little bit after. Um, she's also written nonfiction, most recently releasing a collection of essays called Feel Free in 2018. Uh, while still at Cambridge, she met her future husband, Nick Laird. Um, they married in 2004 and they have two children together. Nick Laird is actually name-checked in White Teeth as an example of sort of 
an attractive guy, which I think is kind of funny. He, she she funny. calls someone in passing Nikki Laird, <laughs> and that's before they were married. <laughs> oh, I uh, love it. She now lives in New York City, uh, splitting time with London, and is a tenured professor of creative writing at NYU. So we've got NYU versus USC this year, this week, and creative writing professors. And I just wanted to close the facts with a quote on uh, reading that she said in her uh, essay collection called Changing My Mind, Occasional Essays. Nowadays, I know the true reason I read is to feel less alone, to make a connection with consciousness other than my own. And that's a pretty accurate way of talking about reading. I do really like her, and I like everything I just learned about her. I feel bad that I didn't like the book more. Oh, well. I would try on beauty. Yeah, maybe I'll switch swing time for on beauty, and then nobody needs to know. Except should, all the people I'm should, telling right we now. We should do that. Yeah. yeah. You feature swing time very prominently on several Instagram posts. <laughs> you're, you're so right. Excellent facts, Andrew. Good quotes, too. Um, Thank you. So, uh, White Teeth by Zadie Smith, three stars. Sorry. <laughs> Andrew, do you have a game for us? I do. The name of this week's game is Amy Bendo Party. I'm trying to figure out a way to combine Bender and Jeopardy in that last name. Benepardy. Benepardy. There you go. Amy Benepardy. So the way this game is going to work is Jeopardy rules. You have to phrase the answer in the form of a question. The correct responses are all names of Amy Bender's short stories, not from Willful Creatures. So you won't have a leg up there, Toby. I'm sorry. Um, okay. From other books. And you're going to buzz in by saying Bender Bender. Okay. First to three is going to win. Um, You obviously have a chance to steal if it's incorrect. And we're going to go till we get a correct answer unless something wild happens. All right. Got it. Mm -hmm. A visual album by the most famous female singer on earth. Also what you make when life gives you fruit. Bender, bender. Mm. Toby. What is, what is lemonade? That is correct. One point for Toby. Ah, 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 bender, bender. All right. Here's number two. A movie involving a videotape, a well, and seven days. Bender, bender. Toby. What is the ring? That is correct, Toby. Toby is kicking your butt. I just want you to know that I knew both of those. I just didn't bender, bender fast enough. Well, they say the hardest part about Jeopardy is actually the buzzer, not the questions. So you're probably running into your own version of that right now. All right, let's see if you can get this one, Bailey. The name of my gray cat or an almond-based pastry staple. Bender, bender. What is marzipan? That is correct. I knew that too. <laughs> Did you really? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I know your cat's oh. name. Oh. We're good friends. Toby two, Bailey one, and we're going to the fourth question. What you might call someone who has lost all of their fruit, particularly the kind used to make cider. Bender Bender? Bailey? What is appleless? That is correct. Apples. <laughs> no, is that like a real word? I just made it up. No, yeah. it's a it's a story. So I should say, so far, the ring and marzipan both came from Amy Bender's st- short story books, The Girl in the Flammable Skirt, and Appleless and Lemonade uh, came from The Color Master, her most recent collection of short stories. All right. So this is for all the marbles. Are you ready? Yes. yes. A song by Beck, and also what whoever doesn't win this game will be. Bender Bender. Toby? Lose, uh, what is loser? That is correct. Oh! I kept uh, thinking we, Deborah. It's not Deborah. Bailey's a loser, baby. <laughs> so why don't you kill her? Whoa. <laughs> can't, can't be back. Can't be back. <laughs> we can't sing the words, Toby. Congratulations, Toby. He ran away with that one, Bailey. You're a loser. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, thank you for that game. Uh, now's the time in the podcast. We get new books chosen at random from our shelves. It's The Choosening. The, the Choosening. Choosening. Well, 
So I have a special choosing for me, but let's let's hear what Toby got picked. Toby has number 20, Eye of the World from the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan. Ooh. Is this the first one in that series, Toby? Yeah, is it the it first one? It is. Yes, it's a big deal. Wow, that's a big book. I think it's like 800 pages or something. That's, that's a big, a big book. <laughs> um, How many yeah. books are in that series? Then each I think one's like 14. And each one's 800? Um, or more, yeah. You definitely um, got to so, read that one backwards, Dylan. <laughs> okay. So for listeners who aren't aware, this is like... This is like classic fantasy, like every hallmark of modern fantasy you could possibly have. Like really, really long books, really long series, as we said, 14 books in it. Like they all have those covers that like, if you're not a reader of fantasy, make you like wonder why people read fantasy at all, which is like magic looking lady on a horse and there's a giant dude with a sword next to her also riding a horse. I'm very excited. It's a very, it's a classic of modern fantasy too i've wanted to read it for a long time so yeah i'm surprised you haven't read it based on your description and your professed love of fantasy allegedly (laughs) yeah (laughs) and for bailey and for me so this is exciting you guys so the last book i got for my birthday was a gift from miss jillian beth durkee it was a book that i was so excited and i was going to buy for myself but jillian got it ahead of time she pre-ordered it for me and it's called Wilder Girls by Rory Power. And Mm. why it's not chosen at random is because we were able to get Rory to be a guest on our podcast. (gasps) Um, So I'm going to read it um, for next week's episode and we'll have Rory Power on to talk about Wilder Girls. Instead of facts, we'll just have a little interview with Rory. So it's very exciting. This feels very legit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And just in case you haven't seen it around Instagram, you should definitely look up the cover. It's very creepy let me show toby um it's such a cool cover it's like this girl who seems to be made out of like ribbon i would say like her her head and face is made out of ribbon it's like it's like leaves are poking through so half of her face is there and half of it is empty Mm -hmm. um it's about um terrible plague that morphs your body takes over this island in maine Mm. where there's a school of girls you're hitting all my favorite things there, especially having grown up on an island in Maine. So I can't wait to read it and to have Rory on. Yay! Yay! We also have one other final announcement, one other final exciting things for fans of the podcast. Yeah. One of the pieces of feedback we've been getting from people, which is a very flattering piece of feedback, is we wish that you guys had more episodes. We wish that there was an episode every week instead of every two weeks. And... I will take total credit for that because um, I have to read one every time and sometimes mm-hmm. it's Anna Karenina and I just can't do it. So what we decided to do is we're going to have bonus episodes that will come out on the off weeks. We're going to try to have them come out as much as possible, but we might not have one every other week, but we will try to get more content out for you. So our first bonus episode will come out next Wednesday in between this episode and the next one and they're going to be shorter episodes um and this one it's going to just be introducing us as people and our favorite books and our favorite genres and that kind of thing so if you're interested in learning more about us you can tune in if you don't care you can just come by every two weeks and hear our reviews and whatever Mm -hmm. i suggest coming by every week um then in two weeks we will have andrew reading the Wind Up Bird Chronicle and i will be reading wilder girls and we'll have an interview with rory power so exciting 
Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the To Read List podcast. We're on Facebook and Instagram at the To Read List podcast and on Twitter at To Read List pod. And if you enjoyed what you heard, please go on iTunes and leave a review if you can. It really does help cast our net a little wider and help us creep up on those uh, top 10 charts. Because, you know, we're gunning for number one and it could be your review that gets us there. Uh, another thing you can do to help us out is if you enjoy this podcast, um, please, if there's someone in your life who enjoys books, uh, tell them to listen. If you think they would enjoy it, um, word of mouth is the best advertising, and we really would love to connect with more people who love books. Uh, thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song and our Harry Potter theme. Mm. See you next week. Happy reading. Books, 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 books. books. books.